This is Creepy Steve. You're right in the heart of Ghost Town. Sorry for the uh, late start. Titans traffic. It got me. Anyways, um, I'm going to get right into it. I've got uh, a very special slew of guests today. We're going to feature the girls of punk rock. Now, the original punk rock movement in the mid-70s in London and New York was all about the individual coming out, but uh, it was a nice opportunity for the female to come out as a force to be reckoned with, you know? Um, for the people that had a voice and wanted to flaunt it and utilize it and uh, be seen as more than just an object of sexual desire, this is what today's for. Paving the way for uh, future punk rock girls as, ro- as well as uh, girls in just the music industry and, uh, you know, women across the board. And then... Uh, I think I've given enough uh, attention to the testosterone side of things. We're going to go for some estrogen today. All right. Ghost Town, WRFN LP Pasquo. We got the lady from New York, the queen of it all, right after this message. The music industry was incredibly sexist and so old-fashioned when punk started. Women in rock up to that point had been backing singers. When the female bands came along, they just... They didn't know what to do with them. They thought that they were silly, they were threatened by them. But we were very aggressive and they were threatened by that. When you're in a punk gig and you're pogoing, you're getting pushed about whether you're a boy or a girl. You want to dress tough, you have to be tough. Punk just opened up this whole avenue for being a bad girl, wearing what you wanted, being able to look ugly. You could go out of your way to uglify yourself and that would be beautiful in itself. People were more interested in you because you looked interesting and imaginative. You would be interesting and open and free-minded. It's about being really inventive and creative and not feeling that you were restricted by your sex. And that helped women in music no end. We're in it all together. Oh, we're not in it at all. The first stirrings of a sea of change for women were coming from across the Atlantic. Emerging from a scene centred around the CDCBGB's club in New York, the self-possessed and seminal Patti Smith was leading the way. When I saw Patti Smith play for the first time, it was like, you know, seeing gods. I'd never seen a, a, a woman actually in a rock band before. I didn't think of it as a woman, as a bloke, as anything other than this fantastic, eerie voice. She'd have to be my favourite. When it came to performance, she used her ideas and her words and her lyrics like this shaman who just conjured this mental energy up. She jumped around, jumped into the audience. She, she did things, maybe copying Iggy Pop and stuff we hadn't really seen and certainly hadn't ever seen a girl do. She was exciting, she was, she was creating a kind of revolutionary feel in her music. She's been called Godmother of Grunge, and I think there was something about her image that, that was very punk, it was very androgynous. You almost fancied her like you would a bloke, because she was so um, sexy and charismatic. She pulled her hair back into a ponytail, and you were so self-conscious in those days as a woman, and you would never do anything like to scrape your hair back into a ponytail when you were on stage, when you were the star. She 
was hugely influential on all the women um, punk singers. She is still the most amazing woman performer I've ever seen. She's really special and unique and in a, in a category of her own. Patty Smith group that's off of the third album Easter and uh, born and raised in Chicago Illinois Smith moved to New York in 1967 New York City that is heavily influenced by the beat poets she found her way into the the poetry scene Greenwich Village and beyond 
and eventually uh, linked up with guitarist Lenny Kay and started putting music to her words and eventually started uh, singing her words along with spoken poetry. Yep, and then made her way into rock and roll legendary stardom as far as uh, maybe not as much as record sales so much as the myth of Patti Smith and everybody she influenced after that. This is off her first record, Horses. It's Redondo Beach. You're right in Ghost Town. education, not only from reading, but from great poets like uh, uh, Gregory Corso. 
And Gregory always, um, Gregory would take me to poetry readings very early 70s, and he was always dismayed by how boring they were. And when I got to do my own poetry reading, I thought, well, I'm going to make certain that my readings are not boring. And I wanted to infuse some new life into reading poetry. So I had met Lenny Kay and asked him to uh, supply some interpretive guitar with some of the poems. And uh, so Lenny and I evolved together and trying to make two parallel. We had two parallel missions. One was to infuse more energy into poetry, and the other was to uh, eventually remind people of our the grassroots strength of rock and roll, which, you know, of course is uh, political and poetic, revolutionary and sexual, and that it shouldn't be some big corporate, you know, um, uh, career and lifestyle uh, motivated uh, medium. Jerry can take it from me 
So when did you suddenly find yourself singing the lyrics instead of reading the <laughs> well, lyrics? I, in those days, I remember it was kind of like the Kenneth Koch flat <laughs> delivery style. Well, I saw, always sang a little from my first reading in 71 because I came from South Jersey and I grew up in the late 50s, early 60s, where an acapella music was strong. And we all sang. We all st- sang on street corners. And so sort of sing-songing things was very familiar. In my very first poetry reading, um, I also sang Annie Had a Baby. Um, Can't work no uh, more. And, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I and a Bertolt Breck, um, Kurt Vile song, and, uh, and also... Uh, something that Lenny Kay and I wrote. So it, it just happened organically. I, I have never considered myself much of a singer, but it, it was just the poems orally uh, just evolved like that. Because also people like Allen Ginsberg, Rachel Lindsay, um, Arthur Brown Jr., uh, Oscar Brown Jr., a, a lot of the people that I saw, the beat poets, had, you know, were not afraid to just lapse into you know a little song so I uh, you know I had uh, no fear as well Intoxicated by thee, she has this 
slow sensation that he is levitating with she. You know, I don't care. I mean, we don't have time to, like, deal with, like, semantics. But to me, Little Richard was a person that was able to focus a certain um, physical, anarchistic, and spiritual energy into a form, which, you know, we've, we call rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And it was like, uh, I mean, it hit me. I was, like, real little girl. It was like, I, the first time I heard him, it was like Easter. And I was, like, seven years old with my little brownie socks cuffed and everything. And, like, I heard that... I heard, t uh, um, what is it? Oh, girl can't help it. I have to put it on my brain. And uh, there was like, I understood it. I understood it as being something that had to do with my future. You know, just like, you know, when I was a little girl, Santa Claus didn't turn me on. Easter Bunny didn't turn me on. God turned me on. Little Richard turned me on. There was just certain things that like. What was wrong with Santa Claus me. and the Easter Bunny? Hey, they're great guys. Too fat. I don't know. <laughs> they bring you stuff. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm more materialistic about my soul than I am about objects. Except I, now that I've become, you know, such a big deal, I've been thinking maybe I'll get me a sports car. <laughs> Disguised as lust 
Because of the Night, that's the Patti Smith Group. You might recognize that. Also made famous by Natalie Merchant, 10,000 Maniacs. And uh, that was co-written with uh, Bruce Springsteen, of all people. And uh, definitely uh, Patti Smith's best well-known song for the ages. All right. I'm going to get right into this next group. They're... Uh, they were formed in 1981 as the Bad Samaritans. And this was in Stanwell in Middlesex, England. And the Bad Samaritans uh, were comprised of guitarist Wild Planet, bassist Dr. Fibes, and drummer Joe Fungus. But it wasn't until they picked up female vocalist George Cheeks that they really started to uh, make an impact on the punk rock scene. This girl can scream. These guys play loud. I love them. Here they are, action-packed, right in Ghost Town.
also had its own sexual codes. Despite the rubber clothes and the provocative way of dressing, it was mostly very asexual. Sex wasn't really a feature in the punk thing, as far as I, I never really noticed that. I mean, some people were getting their end away, but it wasn't really the thing. You weren't dressing to attract the opposite sex. You were dressing to tell everyone to fuck themselves, basically. It was a real up yours mentality. As a guy, if you had any intentions other than intellectual or musical one with these girls, they were soon cut short because these women just had this attitude that kind of knocked that out of the arena. You didn't mess with these women. They weren't girly girls. They would stand eye to eye with you and give as good as they got.
punks played around with notions of desire, subverting male sexual fantasies through what they wore. They refused to be submissive, they hijacked the perverted. There was something glorious about all these different shapes and sizes of bodies strutting the 70s streets, wrapped in rubber. Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood's shop Sex on the King's Road experimented with the lexicon of pornography. They stocked fetish wear, slogan T-shirts and the infamous bondage trousers. They didn't dress me. I had a few of their things. When I went back to Cleveland, Ohio, I had a rubber skirt and a scum manifesto T-shirt. And, you know, I really felt like the dog's bollocks. I did look cool, especially, you know, at a basement in Cleveland, Ohio. I didn't find it intimidating going into sex. I wanted, um, you know, a specific kind of dog contract. Oh, we'll make you one and that. And getting some vinyl trousers, they were great and turned out to be very practical because you just wipe the spit off. Jordan, the shop assistant, was a living advertisement for the power of sex. She wore rubber clothes, a beehive and theatrical makeup. On her daily commute from Sussex, British Rail even put Jordan in first class for her own protection. They let me travel first class with my second class ticket every day from Lewis to Seaford because of the trouble they knew I was having. So they were really sweet about that.
Sorry about that digital noise. CD2's being a little stinker today. It happens. It's all right, though. I can be flexible. That was action-packed off of uh, their uh, Mercury, Theater, Mercury Theater on the Air, 1983 LP. And also in there, off the same, Things That Need and London Bouncers from the London Bouncers EP. And starting off the set, Suicide Bag from 1982's Suicide Bag EP. And uh, I've got one more from uh, Action Packed for you. This is off their 1984 release, Survival of the Fattest Record. And then we're going to get right into the next artist here. You're listening to the women of punk rock right in Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. Well, hell, let's try that one more time. How about that? One of them days, people. You're doing great, though.
Beatles, Buzzcocks, Clash, and, and, and definitely the Slits. They were right in there. As soon as it happened, there were the Slits. With a dub-style backbeat came the riot of reggae of the chaotic and anarchic Slits. The Slits had a very sort of if you, sex pistols kind of look about them in a way. It was kind of, you know, a ripped-up, distressed sort of look, and very sexy. I used to look at women like the Slits and just thinking, wow, they're fantastic, you know. All right, I can't do that. That's annoying. It's going to be one of those days. Just don't want to create that noise the whole time. We're going to do things a little different. I'm going to start that one back over. You're listening to Ghost Town and WRFNLP Pasquo. The early days, you think the Pistols, Buzzcocks, Clash, and, and, and definitely the Slits. They were right in there. As soon as it happened, there were the Slits. With a dub-style backbeat came the riotous reggae of the chaotic and anarchic Slits. The Slits had a very sort of if you, sex pistols kind of look about them in a way. It was kind of, you know, a ripped-up, distressed sort of look and very sexy. I used to look at women like the Slits and just thinking, wow, they're fantastic. You know, that album cover where they're covered in mud and you're just thinking, wow, you can be sexy. And at the same time, a real person. We didn't really feel there were any female bands working in the same area except Patti Smith, who was doing totally her own thing, but, you know, that's who we admired. The Slits out of England. They used to open for The Clash. They used to date The Clash. How about that? I'm just going to switch this over right now. We're going to get right into their uh, classic album, Cut. Right here in Ghost Town. It's <laughs> the wrong track. If this is your first time listening to Ghost Town, this is a unique one. Check me out again, too. Maybe another day. The Slits.
It's the Slits in Ghost Town. Off their uh, classic album, Cut. It's an all-female punk band out of England. Yeah, I want to keep it going. You just heard uh, Instant Hit. Here's So Tough. I want to 
There was just this humongous noise with Ari up running around the stage just shouting abuse. They were just so wrong in every way, you know, but brilliant, even less adept at their instruments than any of the, the rock and roll punk bands like The Clash and the Pistols. They made an advantage of that. We were very conscious from the start that we didn't want to copy male rhythms, male 12 bars, you know, slip into sort of routines and habits. Male rhythms was 4-4 four, four time. One, two, three, four, da, da, da. One, two, three, And female rhythms was much more cyclical, scratchy. There weren't so much female rhythms as they were completely uneducated rhythms. The Slits. Gotta love them. British rock band formed in London in 1976, uh, comprised of mem by members of the groups The Flowers of Romance and The Castrators. These women have attitudes. Uh, the early lineup, uh, the classic lineup, consisted of Ari Up on uh, vocals, Palm Olive on the drums, and also Viv Albertine on guitar, and Tessa Pollitt played the bass. And uh, you're hearing songs off of their classic album, Cut. I'm going to go ahead and keep that going right now. This is FM.
I sort of didn't know punk existed. Well, there wasn't punk. You know, I didn't know there was this way of being yourself on stage and uh, not caring about your accent or how poor you were or where you came from until I saw Johnny Rotten play. And then that was it. It was an epiphany. I think just that package he was, he was as near a girl like me as a, as a boy could be, really. I got left 200 quid, the only money I've ever been left in my life, by my grandmother, and I thought, I'm going to go and buy a guitar. Mick Jones, who was my boyfriend at the time, said, great! I literally couldn't play it. I couldn't hold down one bar chord. And then, I think about a week later, I met Sid Vicious in the street, hadn't met him before, and said, I'm going to make a band, and he said, oh, I'll be in a band with you. You were practising for quite a while, weren't you, with Sid? Yeah, we did spend the whole of summer 76, <laughs> the hottest summer on record, in Joe Strummer's basement, trying to uh, get a band together. We sort of got used to how it felt to rehearse and turn up every day, and, and then Sid decided I couldn't play well, guitar well enough to be in the band anymore, even though it was my band. <laughs> <laughs>
Affair, that's the slits off of their classic cut album. Also in there, Newtown and FM started off the set. Actually, at the point this album was uh, recorded and released, original drummer Paul Molive had left the band um, to join uh, on with the Raincoats temporarily. She went on to do some other stuff as well. I think it was just a clash of uh, uh, image portrayal. She didn't quite agree with uh, the rest of the group. Um, I think a lot of it was re- well, revolved around uh, the album cover that they were uh, taking photographs for, where they uh, posed topless, and uh, she just wasn't about it. But I think you'll hear some of that uh, jabber in uh, one of these upcoming interviews. going to keep it going off of the album Cut. You're writing Ghost Town with the slits. I'm Creepy Steve. Glad you're hanging with me today. Love und Romance. Babylon lovers. Oh, 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 sweet love and romance. Ain't it something, man? It's dance.
loves the feeling, and so is stealing. Do you hear me? I hear you. <laughs> I didn't finish my story about the drummer situation. Uh, Paul Olive was replaced by Budgie, the first male member of the group. Um, he actually was, uh, he's the one you're hearing on the album. He played and he recorded with them on the album Cut and also did some touring with them. Um, but his stay with the Slits was short-lived as he was poached. Well, that sounds, uh, that sounds harsh. He was picked up by Susie Sue to play with the Banshees. Um, Around the 1983, I think. I'll have to look that up. Maybe you can. Time period. And um, yeah, became a fixture with uh, Susie Sue and her Banshees. But yes, he uh, created a, quite the backbone for the Slits to up the ante on their uh, mechanics. I don't think, uh, I think without him, this uh, album cut would not have been possible. Right in Ghost Town, hanging with the Slits. And uh, we've got some other female spirits floating around as well. Still yet to come up until the two o'clock hour. Hang in there, Radio Free Nashville. Okay, so you joined the Slits, and did you get a kind of confidence from that environment? Because when you joined the Slits, it was an all-girl group, wasn't it? Mm. I didn't like it being an all-girl group, and everyone at the time was very against being labelled, you know, because we'd been labelled all our lives. We were just these sort of useless, poor, comprehensive school-educated kids. And uh, I said to Chrissy Hind, who was a friend of mine, oh, Chrissy, I don't want to be in an all-girl group, it's tokenistic. And Chrissy just had said to me, oh, shut up, Viv, and get on with it, they're a good band. <laughs> it's very down to earth.
All right, join us this Wednesday, December 14th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Jackalope Brewery in Nashville. That's at 701 8th Avenue. Oh, heck, just look it up on your ways. <laughs> Radio Free Nashville is having our holiday party. That's, again, Wednesday, December 14th, coming up this week. And um, 6 to 8 p.m., Jackalope Brewery. Meet your favorite Radio Free Nashville programmers, me included. I will be there creeping creeping around the... The brewery. That's how that's how I'll do it. Share some holiday cheer with your folks here at Radio Free Nashville. And also join us for karaoke at the kegs. That's at Twin Kegs 2, 327 Hermitage Avenue in Nashville. That's every Friday and Saturday night this month, December. Karaoke. Radio Free Nashville receives all the tips and half of the money on all of the artwork sales that will be going on. Come out and sing. Have some fun and help Radio Free Nashville at the same time. You're right in Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. It's the Slits.
Did the slits get hassled? They were physically attacked on the streets. Literally. You've got to understand that they deeply freaked people out on a psychological level. On the White Riot Tour, we had to bribe the coach driver, Norman, to allow them on the bus. Not because they did anything to him, but he, he just couldn't compute. You know, women weren't supposed to be like this. There was guys just cruising the streets, old-fashioned macho guys who were the norm then, just thinking that maybe how you looked, you were a prostitute. I got spat at and attacked many times. Ari got stabbed. It was just part of everyday life. The slits' appearance sparked controversy, whatever they were wearing or not wearing. But unlike many other female artists at the time, they remained firmly in control of their image, as they showed when they appeared topless on the cover of their debut album, Cut. And here they are, looking fantastic, bare-breasted, defiantly outstaring the camera's gaze. This was an amazingly audacious thing to do. Few female artists of any had posed topless on their album covers, and it caused a big controversy. Rough Trade had a massive argument amongst the staff as to whether they should stock the album at all, and supposedly one man tried to sue Island Records for crashing his Rolls-Royce when he saw the three slits bare-breasted on a big billboard. That just evolved that day. We had a female photographer, Penny Smith. We just got a bit over-relaxed towards the end of the day and started <laughs> slopping mud on us and all that kind of thing. But we were very sure that we had to choose um, a photo where the look was right. We looked confrontational. There was no come-hither look or nothing submissive about us.
The Slits, that's the Marvin Gaye cover. I heard it through the grapevine. All these songs have been off their classic Cut album. And, uh, you know, they influenced so many people and so many women moving forward in rock and roll. And uh, they went on to uh, get really heavily, more heavily into the reggae and dub realm. Um, But this was their classic. And that album, again, is Cut. That's The Slits. We have a few women from the punk rock era hanging out in Ghost Town today. This next group formed in uh, Scotland, fronted by Claire Grogan on vocals. Here's their 1981 single. This is Altered Images, Dead Pop Stars, right in Ghost Town. Yeah. 
and Gina Birch and Anna De Silva, who were so inspired by the Slits' first gig that they started their own band, The Raincoats, in November 1977. Within a few weeks, they were playing their first gig. The Raincoats preferred ideas to proficiency and counted John Lydon amongst their fans. It was all about you putting your own ideas forth and bringing yourself to it. It wasn't copying this guitar player and doing these solos and lots of uh, fancy stuff. It was about you bringing what you had to the fore. the raincoats that's interview and that's a interview fairy tale in the supermarket off their 1979 release the raincoats and uh before that you heard altered altered images with dead pop stars they're out of scotland fronted by claire grogan that was from 1981 gonna keep it going with the rock and roll girls 
of the punk era, the original wave and post-punk. And uh, got the 1979 single here by the White, by the Modettes. This is White Mice. You're right in Ghost Town. As well as American Chrissy Hind, who dropped out of art school in Ohio and landed in London at the beginning of the punk scene. When people talk about this subject, people forget Chrissy Hind. 
you have a woman doing what no woman had ever done before, which is playing guitar very aggressively. You play with Chrissy, you have to rock. That's what she wants to do. She wants to get it down to the essence and rock, you know, just as tough as anything men could do. Chrissy's abilities didn't go unnoticed by punk impresario Malcolm McLaren. She found herself part of a small pool of musicians who went on to form some of the major punk groups. He was always kind of nurturing me or trying to help me out, which was fantastic, because I really looked up to Malcolm. We had one rehearsal. Vivian uh, Westwood came down, and she was impressed. She goes, oh, Chrissy, you can really squeeze a chord out of that thing. Anyway, they never called me back after that one rehearsal, and the next week there was a new band in town, and it was The Dam. Stop Your Sobbing, that's a cover of the Kinks song by the Pretenders from their uh, 1980 Pretenders album. That's featuring Chrissy Hind on vocals. Also uh, in there, the Modettes, 1979 single White Mice, and the Raincoats. Ah, Fairy Tale in the Supermarket, that's from the Raincoats album. And also starting off, Dead Pop Stars, Altered Images. Got a couple more for you. Make sure you stay tuned for uh, RFN Weekend with Matt the Prod Man. I'm Creepy Steve. It's been fun hanging out with you this afternoon. This next one, it's the Rosillos from 1978. Can't Stand My Baby, fronted by vocalist 
Faye Fife. Here you go. band I actually saw physically paid to see was X-Ray Specs. They were brilliant. They were just like this little girl with braces on her teeth screaming. The girl singer, the way her voice was, uh, the, the screaming, the, the energy. She was a trained opera singer, but she just used her voice. In a, she just subverted her voice and used it as a weapon almost. I already kind of had an idea of the kind of thing that I wanted to do and when I saw the pistols it meant that it was possible. Then they came out with a sound and attitude and a whole energy that was just not relating to anything around it. Superb. Polystyrene I just thought was like a breath of fresh air. She just looked brilliant. Their look and everything about them, their whole attitude and their bearing expressed as much about them as the songs they wrote did. I never forget seeing her singing with this little soldier's hat on and a brace, really thick braces on her teeth. Uh, yes, X-Ray Specs is of whom they speak, fronted by Polystyrene out of London. Here they are. Hey, Bondage, up yours. It's Ghost Town. Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... Up yours! One, two, three, four! 
The way that she marched up and down stage and, you know, the way that she had, like, half a military uniform on. There was an amazing amount of care went into the way that she looked. I didn't put my braces on for fashion. I actually had to wear braces and um, I was quite goofy. To go with it, I just thought I couldn't really wear my sort of 70s sort of curly Carly Simon hairdos anymore. So I thought, well, I'll just change my look to go in my braces. <laughs> thing about Polly's lyrics is I think she was ahead